Weird Pals is coming to San Francisco live June 25th, a Sunday, at 8 p.m. at the Endgames Improv Theater, 2965 Mission Street. It is free for the public, so come in and enjoy a wild show filled with audience participation, free prizes, and a ton of Get Song BPM. You'll enjoy yourselves if you come join us June 25th, 8 p.m. in the Mission District of San Francisco. Stay weird, folks! It's podcast time, and who would want more than Weird Al songs and the little Star Wars? The kings have a thing for causing a fight. The Yoda chant gets longer every time. Dave dresses up as a TIE fighter race and covers every song on electric bass. Transplant surgeries, Coca-Cola bands. Whoever books the gig gets the name of the new band. It's time for our show to start now. We're covering Yoda on Weird Pals. Uh, hey, welcome everybody to Weird Pals. My name is Tim. My name is Andy. And with us this week, sure, he's helping seemingly produce every single live musical show in the Spokane area from now until Kingdom Come. And sure, he's been used as a musical resource in season one of this podcast. But most importantly, we are celebrating the 20-year anniversary where he taught me how to play the bass guitar it's Dave Turner. Hey, hey everybody! Wow, mom- momentous. Twenty years now, huh? Jeez. Yeah, it's absurd. Wow, time flies. Yeah, it only moves forward for some stupid reason. <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. Um, Dave, do you recall any strange Facebook messages I've sent you in the last couple of years, apropos of nothing? Uh, just some some odd uh, references to Weird Al Yankovic and, and uh, Star Wars music and things like that. Generally, sort of out of left field, not sure what to do. But yeah, I remember a few of those. And you've taken all of those in stride, which which makes you a prime candidate for, for being a full part of this one of these episodes. Okay. Was all that um, just a test to see if he can come onto the show? No, no. It was a test to see if Dave knew who I was still. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course I know who you are, Tim. Yeah, yeah. The 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 legend. You were a great student, so. Thank you. I'd like to think I've only aged uh, like wine. <laughs> Gotten better, right? That's right. <laughs> the format of the show. Uh one of us, it's going to be me today, is going to go first talking about the original artist. Uh, today's episode is titled Yoda, because we got to cover the song Yoda. So I'll be talking about the kinks. And then we're going to pass it off to Andy, who's going to be mm-hmm. talking about how Weird Al took one song and turned it into another song. And then we're kicking it to Dave, who's got the third leg, who will be talking about how he is directly uh, related to this work of Weird Al and any Star Wars-y things. Um, but another secret for Andy, which is going to be fun. I like being kept in the dark on these. <laughs> it's a nice little shock whenever uh, the guest starts talking. Yeah, and I have a weird sense of control, so I like to have you know less about things. I, I am a sheep by nature, so it works. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> that's, Dave, if, that's you, me. if you have 
if you have extra tidbits on anything about the kinks that I bring up or anything about Weird Al that Andy brings up, uh, you are you're riding shotgun. So okay. you get to you know mess with the radio and and yeah. uh, and and move around the the. Um, you know, you know, when you drive shotgun, you have the right to move the uh, rearview mirror whenever you want to. Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I know I'm never going on a road trip with you, Tim. Yeah. Or at least not letting you ride up front. All right, here we go. Leg number one. I got to tell y'all about the Kinks. Um, I knew almost nothing about the Kinks except for that they wrote the song Lola once upon a time because this Yoda song came from somewhere. And that's all I knew about them. Uh, I've learned slightly more information, so here's what I've learned. Uh, the Kinks are from northern uh, London, and they are kind of uh, very much a part of the uh, British invasion of the 1960s, but in a really interesting way. Um, before they became popular, um, they were a high school band, and they played at the high school dances. Uh, like you would you would see in the movies, um, fronted by two brothers, uh, the Davies brothers. Uh, one is tragically named Dave Davies. Oh, why? I don't know why. That was the lead guitar player, uh, and then Ray Davies, uh, because we believe in assonance when we name our children, uh, is the uh, songwriter and rhythm guitar player, and. Uh, you'll have some, uh, I'll send some footage of these, uh, some of these performances. And Ray Davies seems like proto Crispin Glover, which is a fun, <laughs> bizarre, uh, I don't know, just interesting looking fellow. Um, so the two Davies, they ended up having a drummer, uh, Mick Avery, who joined in 1964 as they started their actual recordings. And then their bass player has been a couple of different guys. The longest-running one was John Dalton, who joined in 66. A fun tidbit is that for exactly one performance before they were uh, officially signed and famous, Rod Stewart was the lead singer of the Kinks. Uh, I think w even when they were back in high school, I think they all went to the same high school. What? And then Rod Stewart was like, nah, enough of this band. I'm doing my own band. <laughs> so became his own thing he asked uh the rest of the band like do you think i'm sexy and they're like no and so it's like all right screw it bye that's right i'm gonna go find millions of people who agree <laughs> so um the band kicks off in the uh in the part of the time where the beatles and the rolling stones are kicking off and so if you're a live band made doing garage rock like they all are um, they're sort of in each other's wheelhouses, and they, they also played at the Cavern Club where the Beatles were discovered. And so managers and stuff are kind of all familiar. By the time that the drummer gets signed, the band has three managers, like three business managers, because these the Davies brothers had kept on like being in, like calling themselves different things and having like different deals with, like handshake deals with different people. Here are the... Uh, uh, Alternate names for the mm. Kinks. The Ray Davies Quartet. Sure. The Ramrods. Oh. The, the Pete Quaife Band. And I like this one the best, because Pete Quaife was the name of their first bass player, I think. Yes. And they would be called the Pete Quaife Band if Pete was responsible for getting the gig. 
and they would be the Ray Davies band if Ray got the gig. So I, they would I, the name of the band. I've played in bands like that. Yeah, I've, I've done that. Yeah? Like, the, the name of the band depends on who's singing the most that night. It's the same people. They just, yeah, that's a thing. So it stands. It's a, it's a fun, like, uh, like competitive spirit, it sounds like. That or egomani- egomaniacs at the wheel. Probably, right. probably the latter. Yeah. <laughs> and the- competitive spirit in a band is dangerous, <laughs> I think. Yeah, usually it's more about ego and who uh, wants to take the most money. Aha, uh-huh. yes. Um, the uh, They were then called the Bow Weevils. Ooh. And then for their longest pre-Kinks stint, uh, they were called the Ravens. Mm. Uh, and then the Kinks stuck. There are three different competing stories of why they're called the Kinks. None of them are interesting, but they're called the Kinks. Um, at the beginning of this band, it's almost entirely blues rock. And Ray Davies is playing the harmonica on almost every song on their debut album. And uh, that uh, co- completely shocked me. I had no idea that they were even interested in doing uh, rhythm and blues music. Um, but most of their debut album are covers. In fact, one of them is a Little Richard cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the songs that actually made them famous were actually the originals, as opposed to like their cover, their interesting iterations of covers. Um, so, anyways. Um, they 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 got uh, signed to Pile Pie Records, yeah, Pie Records, P Y E. Um, Appropriate for the the day we're recording this. Yeah, it's pie day. it is. Happy Pie Day! Oh, oh my gosh, Happy Pie Day! Man. Wow. Totally. At the rate that I um, edit and uh, put out these episodes, it <laughs> might be the following Pie Day, but <laughs> might be it's not Pie Day. <laughs> Um, so Pi Records was like, here's some money, please write us a single. So they wrote a single, and it flopped. And then Pi Records was like, okay, you know, you can't bat a thousand. How about, here's some money, please write a second single. And that second single also did nothing. And then Pi Records was like, you know what? We're going to drop you if you don't write a catchy song. So please write one. Here is another bit of money. And their third attempt is maybe their big, one of their biggest songs is You Really Got Me. Mm-hmm. And just for the re- record, I love this song. All right, it is on the record now, Andy. Uh, Dave, what do we call that drumming uh, style? Well, he's got he's he's holding six sticks traditionally like a jazz drumming. That's the traditional one. What do you yeah. call the other way? Matched. That's traditional. Matched. Okay. Find a finger precision with the pick. There we go. Oh yeah, are you? Um, what's your stance? I know you probably don't. You're you're probably like anything goes, everything is fine. But bass guitar, pick, no pick. Uh, whatever it takes. I see. I knew yeah. you were gonna be. Picks uh, have their use, and they have a totally different sound, so I use them when I need to. This seems like a good appropriate use to it. This was back in the day too, where um, his guitar tone, the kind of crunchy guitar tone, is created by like cutting a slit in the cone of the amplifier. Yeah, this is before effects had really been invented, so you just have to overdrive your amplifier to get any sort of dirt at all. Yeah. And that's a very John Lennon sort of sound right there. John Lennon guitar, John Lennon tongue, John Lennon hair almost. 
So this is Dave soloing. Dave yes, Davies. Dave Davies. He does look like Chris, proto Crispin Glover, Ray. <laughs> well, the the bass player looks like Pete Townsend from The Who. He does. Yeah. Let me give you some continued facts about uh, these guys. Um, this helps them get to their um, debut album called Kinks. Drop the the, it's cleaner. This comes out in 1964. Um, lots of harmonica on this one. It also has their hit song All Day and All of the Night, which sounds almost exactly like this other song. Um, you could sing them on top of each other if you wanted to, but don't break it if it ain't broken. Um, that gets them, this record gets them across the pond over to the United States as a part of the British invasion. But wouldn't you know it, uh, these gentlemen have a bad reputation for getting into uh, uh, tussles, as it were, uh, with each other primarily, and then with uh, backstage folks and manager folks and all that kind of thing. They were the oasis of their day. That That's what exactly what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. Total oasis. Oh, uh, multiple times when I've been reading about the Kinks, Oasis has like been like cited as a band who's uses the Kinks as like a, a point of inspiration. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that it's not only it's like looks and sound, yeah, and sort of like personal <laughs> attitude and uh, fraternal uh, arguments. Yeah. So they get banned from the United States halfway into their first United States tour. Banned? Wow! Yep. Congratulations. That's that yeah. takes a lot of work. It did take some work. I think a fist was thrown, it seems, at someone who represented some U.S. management sect of the of the red tape of the tour or something like that. Huh. You punched the wrong guy. Customs agent. Trouble. <laughs> they punched Strom Thurmond. In the <laughs> he was alive back then. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you had to start. This ban lasts Four years, almost wow. the entire length of the British invasion, they are not invited to invade from Britain. Um, so what does it do to the music? Uh, they pump out albums that sound quite a lot like this one, and then they get really British. Like, the albums get progressively more British, and they start doing that music hall thing, and they sound like circus music after a while. And the the interesting thing about the Kinks is that, like, you can play two kink songs from any random albums and you will be like, these are two different bands. Surely these are two different bands. Yeah. And like, that's the case for almost all of their discography. And they've been dropping, they drop like albums like once a year, uh, regardless of uh, where they're starting. One of my favorite things about the kinks is how they choose to name their albums. Let me give you a quick rundown. It starts off with kinks, obviously. Great. Good one. <laughs> uh, they're a little like uh, they get a little ton in cheek about uh, how they name things so kinks is in 64 kind of kinks is in 65 the kink controversy is also in 65 uh, controversy spelled with a K that's important uh, then we got some uh, normal-ish named ones and then we get into like the, they're uh, attributed for having the first like concept records and like sort of like rock opera kind of things where huh. 
they're not just a collection of like uh, like singles. They're like actual like thematically put together. One of these albums actually has like the sonic transitions from to song to song that like sonically link them. And the record company was like nervous about that whole idea. Like, of we course. sort of want them to be on the radio one at a time. We don't want these weird transitions going on. So those aren't, I don't think those were a part of the singles, but they're on the album. Um, and then you get to these, they get to the part of their, um, starting in 68, when they get all like LSDE along with everybody else. Um, they have really fun titles, they get really long. So in 68, we have The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society. Classic. Good name. We have 69, Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire, which is a soundtrack to a film named Arthur. Okay. Oh, I forgot they did the soundtrack to that. That's great. And then we have the one that we care about, uh, and this one is titled Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round Part One. Yeah. Was there ever a part two? There was never a part two. Good question, Fantastic. Andy. Fantastic. <laughs> so one of the things that they were they were commenting on is like because that question comes up in their interviews. They're like, you know what? We were writing stuff so fast, and the ideas were just coming, and they would allow whatever. So if part two, part two songs were being written, but they're like, we also had this other album planned out, and so we just did that instead, and sort of just like went by the wayside, and we didn't really think about it. Um, so that's when, in 1970 is when this comes out. Lola is track five. Yoda is track five? Is this some kind of weird coincidence, or is this more meaningful? Probably a coincidence. It's Probably a coincidence. Okay. Um, it, this reached number nine on the American billboards. Um, it's also been rated on the 500 best songs of all time by Rolling Stones, uh, which is a very um, uh, objective mathematical format. Uh, uh, Dave, you'll be fam you'll get familiar with the way that we do that on this show <laughs> at, at the end. Um, now, the uh, this song got banned uh, in different places for different reasons. I was gonna uh, say like, gee, I wonder why it would get banned, but different uh, reasons, please. I was gonna guess Alabama. <laughs> it was i don't think alabama <laughs> i mean maybe i don't know if different states have different i mean surely alabama banned it first or that or florida come on yeah uh -huh. i mean if it was out today tennessee probably tennessee florida maybe florida would, would have banned it first that's true yeah don't say lola i think don't say lola know. right <laughs> in arkansas that's right and then mississippi um, so Australia was a whole country that banned um, wow. this song to be played what? on the radio. Um, if anyone pretty. in the audience does not know, Lola is a song about a trans person. Uh, and in, in the language that someone might use in 1970 to describe a trans person. So it's yeah. sort of like he's and she's throwing around willy-nilly. Um, and uh, But in England... It is not banned for any trans issues. It's it's banned for brand endorsement rules. So the BBC had has and maybe maybe still has strict rules that you can't say name brands over the radio unless it's like commercial paid 
space. Oh God! And and the first line has Coca Cola. Has Coca Cola. So, what happened is that they record wow. the song with Coca Cola in the first line. Uh, Ray Davies goes over to the United States because it's after the band, so they're playing over there again. BBC calls up and says, we can't play this song on the radio. And so the the record company's like, you have to come back because there's no way that your best song ever can't be played on the radio. So he flies all the way back to England, records a dub over that says Cherry Cola, and then flies back over to the United States. (laughs) That's so arbitrary. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Uh, One one curious aside was... I wonder if, if that if the comment about the concept album did that come around the same time as the Who Tommy or Sgt. Peppers or I think the first concept album might actually be Beach Boys Pet Sounds so I'm curious about what the timeline of that concept Yeah they were album is. It, it, they were neck and neck with those things it looks like that um remember which one they marked as 68 was this one i don't know when pet sounds okay so pet, pet sounds was 66 so okay they were they were definitely on the tails of, of the beach boys and the beatles with sergeant peppers in 67 uh and i, and I don't remember the year of uh, the who tommy but that might have been 68 or 69 so yeah that's they they probably weren't the first but they're they're in the and then of course you know the whole big floyd and the dark side of the moon thing came just yeah. later so there's it's that time for, for concept albums. With the, I think with the advent of the long plane album, you started to see the concepts come out where uh, the itself, the format itself was the, 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 the canvas for the art, the artistic work of the composers. Oh, so the, the, the long play was also an advent of the mid sixties. Yeah. Cause yeah, before the LP was invented, you know, it was records were shorter and there just wasn't the, they weren't thinking of an album in terms of the whole thing. It was just, we could put a single on it. We can put four singles on it. We can put five singles. And then as the, as the LP came out, people said, Hey, we've got, you know, 30 minutes aside, we could do an entire production on, on one side and have it lead to the other side. So, and that's what Brian, you know, Brian Wilson was thinking of with Pet Sounds. Uh, Tommy by the who was 1969. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah, so, so like one per <laughs> one, one per year. Per yeah. The Beach Boys, they, the Beatles, they straws, and then decide to go what order? Yeah. Okay, so this guitar tone right at the beginning is a um, uh, one of those resonator guitars. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, and then uh, mixed in with an electric guitar, and he I think just like found it at some pawn shop and liked it and plugged yeah. it. Yeah. This was also the longest recording session they ever had as a band was to make this song. This was like a month-long process to get it right. They like tried it at different speeds and at different keys, uh, different instruments coming in and out, different session players coming in and out. And this is what we finally ended up with. I like the, uh, I like the double vocals here, double the markers. It's a nice little sonic touch. Yeah, the octaves. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ray Davies said he knew he had a hit on his hand when his one-year-old daughter was able to sing along to the chorus while he was writing it. 
And he's Aww. like, well, if my daughter can sing along to it, stupid <laughs> idiot Kinks fans will be able to pick it up quickly. <laughs> yep. A little bit of a tempo speed up there. Yeah. Gives it some energy. Uh, Dave, do you think it's easy or difficult to play along to a click? I think for a lot of people, it's, it is difficult. Uh, just because a click is a, just a very mechanical device and people feel the, the beat of music in different ways. It's internalized and and people have different sort of time feel that doesn't have to be precisely metronomic. And so it can be challenging. I, I generally, if I'm doing session work, I don't want to hear a click. I want to hear the drummer. I let the brain listen to the click. I hear a banjo now. Yeah. Interesting choice. The thing I always think about when I think of this song is that like, like I don't know how far apart uh, they were from each other, but just like there, it seemed like there was an advent of a lot of songs involving androgyny and uh, you know gender identity and all this, like this and Queen Bitch and uh, you know others that I can't think of. It's just there was kind of a trend of that. It feels like during this era. Yeah, it was just, this was the, the heyday of the sexual revolutions. Um, yeah, there was definitely a, a lot of queer coming out music and movements, especially in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Someone else was quick to say that this was, like, the first, like, gay anthem, like, if, of, like, pop rock mm -hmm. um, that was sort of, like, like worldwide. This definitely has a high sing-along factor. It's, it's a fun song. I sing along with it. It seems like... Um, uh, almost a no-brainer that Weird Al ends his concerts with this. Yes. Uh, despite it completely depending on the original song that already existed. But, like, even so, it's like, what are you going to follow it up with if you're going to play it? Yeah, it's very anthemic. Oh, and Studio Fade. Dave, quick thoughts on the Studio Fade. Mm. Yeah, that, that's what you do when you don't have an ending. <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> I this... I am never a fan of the studio fade. It has always annoyed me. Yeah, it's it, honestly, it's like, well, we don't really have an ending, so we'll just keep playing and we can fade it out and we'll come up with an ending for the tour when we have to end the song somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's the big retardando. It's like the thing that always annoys me with that is that I, I'm, a, I'm a drummer, so. I always find that like the more interesting drum fills happen while the studio fade is going on. And it's like, yeah. I want to hear that full volume. Yeah. Cause that's where they say, just do whatever and just keep going. And so yeah. get bigger and busier and then we'll fade it out. And sorry. There was yeah. a drum solo. <laughs> Bye. All right. Unfair. So Unfair. when I do my research, I often find something a little odd that I'd like to share with you. And this is the little odd thing. Just after this album comes out in 71, uh, they have an album called Percy, and which is just the soundtrack to another movie called Percy. Now, I don't want to explain to you the plot of the movie. I'm going to show you a scene from the movie, and based off of the conversation that's having, I want you two to try to guess what the plot of this movie is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because that's a sitcom establishing shot. Oh my God, yes. Of 
that was a oh god the editing. Am I now supposed to touch you and say you are the yeah, not a high budget film. Although this was a hit and there was a sequel. Imaginative. Mrs. Rogers. You see, the reason that I'm here is to do with the donor. The donor. Oh, you mean of your hmm? My husband. Well, of course, he always leaves his umbrella on trains, too. No, 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 it's... And that's the reason why I haven't seen so much of him lately. Scared to come back without it, no? <laughs> no. It belonged to Guy Warrington. Guy. Guy. Oh, well. Do you know what Guy always said? He always said when he ever died, that have to beat it to death. <laughs> and now you've got it? Yes. Oh, come and sit here. Come and sit here. Yes. Happy days. How well did you know him? Oh, very well. Didn't I tell you? It all happened right here. You see, Charles, my husband, came into that door, and Guy went out of that window. That was terrible, wasn't it? Poor lamb. Hmm. Oh, your husband found him? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. He's in Sheffield. Sit down. Come on. Well, I think it is rather terrible for a man to die without clothes on, you know. Of course, we women, we are different. We always like to look our best. Don't you agree? Mm. Mm. So, um, what did you want to talk to me about? Well, you see, I, I came here to see you because... Mm. Well, you can do just that. I think that would be quite easy, yes. Mm -hmm. Just imagine, the first of the few. And I've got it right in my living room. Oh, yes. <laughs> Okay, are there any context clues that you picked up that you can perhaps piece together what on earth might be happening I'm here? getting, like, you know, private detective vibes. Sure. Uh, he is definitely uncovering a trail of people. Yeah. For sure, yes. Boy, I got nothing. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing aging rock dude stars yes. in ter terrible screenplay to make a yes. few bucks so he can pay his... Pay his uh, guitar hawk bill at the yes. pawn shop. Yes. And or his drug habit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. <clears throat> Plot. Is, it, is there more? Edwin is an innocent and shy young man. You saw him. At the beginning of the film, at the beginning of the film, he is hit by a nude falling man from okay. a high-rise building. While carrying a chandelier. As one does. Right yeah. now. Edwin's penis is mutilated in the accident. <laughs> has to be amputated. And the falling man is killed. Now, Edwin becomes the recipient of the world's first penis transplant. He receives this very large penis from the person who killed him in the accident. Uh, with this new bit of anatomy. Wait, from which, from the guy that fell on him, or the yes. person? Okay, that, yeah, the, the person the that fell on him had the large member. Gotcha. So conveniently, as his was mangled, they just traded one for the other. I mean, vicinity, sure. Edwin names the new uh, appendage. No, no, Percy, no. Oh boy. Name of the film, and he follows the footsteps of the guy who who's now dead. Uh, which he runs into this woman, and he now has the reputation of this former like like uh, schmoozer womanizer guy, and uh, now has the the hilarious undertaking of dealing with all these people who now 
give him attention because he has this new addition to his body that might be an upgrade from the one that he had before. How do they all know this? Did he advertise? I th- it seems like in this conversation, it's sort of brought up because the guy fell out of her window, and now she, and then she knows. Oh, that's the one guy's business, so I know what's up. And I think. Uh, wow. <laughs> must be several months later, I would think. I mean, the healing process. Healing. I mean, it's not just going to work right out of the box as a chandelier, as it were. Yeah, it's it's not like, uh, I I don't know what surgery you can like get and then you're up and walking around the next day, but there's especially having some scotch and getting on the couch. That's not just going to happen. It's not not a quick outpatient thing, I hope. I don't think. (laughs) Anyways, folks, that's the one strange thing I found along the way that I wanted to share with you. It was really important. Um, okay. That ends my leg of the tour, as it wow. were. Um, what, a, what a leg that has been. It's been a third <laughs> leg. <laughs> Andy, yes. uh, the, the baton is handed off to you, my friend. All right. Let's talk about Weird Al Yankovic's Yoda. Um, so Yoda was recorded on February 20th, 1985, released on June 18th, 1985, which I believe is the release date of the album Dare to be Stupid on which it appears because it was not released as a single. And I will get to that in a little bit. Um, the, the big tidbit that I had no idea about is that the song was originally written in 1980 during the initial run of uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Um that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that was released in May of 1980. Um, but it could not be released officially. There there was like a long, arduous process of getting permission from both George Lucas and the song's publishers, Lola's publishers. Uh. Um, and so that that's why it took five years for it to be recorded commercially. And notoriously, and, he said Coca-Cola over and over again, and it yes. was a huge mess. Yeah, absolutely. the original concept was just Coca-Cola, Cola, Cola, Coca. <laughs> right. um, so, like, part of the problem was that, like, the song's publishers turned Al down. But then one day, you know, years later, uh, Al ran into Ray Davies, uh, and he was a big Kinks fan, and so he asked him why he was turned down. And it turns out, Ray Davies had no idea what he was talking about. He was never asked about the song being parodied. Um, So this is really the thing that inspired Al to always go to the songwriters instead of the song's publishers to get permission to do parodies of the songs. Because, you know, don't have to deal with red tape or anything, and uh, it goes a lot faster. And they had at least three managers, so Lord knows. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So that's... I mean, that was at the beginning, but... Yeah. Who knows? They might have kept them all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the song is told from the point of view of uh, the hero, Luke Skywalker. Uh, and as he spent uh, a bunch of time with Yoda on the planet, the swamp planet Dagobah, uh, learning to become a Jedi. Um, Al was once quoted as uh, jokingly saying, uh, prior to The Empire Strikes Back, the thought of writing a song about Yoda had never occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> which, which makes sense. Don't yeah. Um and he he knew he wanted to do a song about Yoda specifically like when the movie was uh, released. 
um, but he couldn't find the right one uh, to use to parody uh, until a friend suggested suggested the King's Lola. Um, to which Al said, it's like, he couldn't believe that he hadn't thought of that himself because he, like I said, was such a huge Kinks fan. So he did record a demo that was released and played a bunch on the Dr. Demento show, uh, even peaking at number one on the, the Funny Five countdown for several weeks. Um, it was, I, I love this little tidbit. It was recorded uh, on a four-track cassette Porta Studio, the first of its kind made specifically for the audio cassette, and the demo only includes Al on accordion and musical Mike Kiefer. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. Yeah. Blow, blowing milk bubbles and making <laughs> hand sounds. Well, naturally. So we you can, can take... only you can only parody Mick Avery, the famous drummer, so many ways. Exactly. So I got link to the demo. Whoops, that's not the link. Uh, Sounds like a solid demo, accordion and hand sounds. Yeah, that's all you really need. Uh, yeah, I mean, what more? If you can't hear it with that, you're the problem. Exactly. <laughs> you're the problem. Oh, this is on the squeeze box. Nice. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. Here come the milk bubbles. A soda, soda. <laughs> Oh, good, because he says soda. <laughs> this is like, he's like 18 years old because he graduated at 16. Yeah. He was like in college as a radio DJ when he's doing this stuff. He does that octave vocal trick mm -hmm. that you notice there, Dave. <laughs> Their hand noises are the best. The cool thing about the accordion is that it actually has enough of a low register that it doesn't yeah. sound like there's a lot missing. Right. It, it really works. It, it works so well without drums or any other <laughs> instruments, really. As you, as we all heard, he plays the accordion on the demo, but in the commercial release, there is no accordion. Mm. There's not one lick of accordion being played on that song. Uh, and when asked why he kept the accordion out of it, uh, he said, quote, it's kind of a backlash from the first album where we had accordion on everything. It just became a little overwhelming to me. For a while, I was relegating the accordion to just the polka medleys. I'm probably going to be using a bit more accordion in the future. I get letters from people saying they missed the accordion on the records, so, which I take as like people were pissed off of the, of the accordion. And then they're like, no, bring it back. That's who you are. We miss you. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, it was never released as a single uh, and no music video was ever made. Um because that would have, you know, uh, included a lot more uh, red tape to cut through uh, mm -hmm. in, in order to, like, have probably, like, Yoda-type puppets or anything. Surely, yeah. Um, Al always considered it just a cool album track. Uh, but, as we know, it is one of his most popular songs. Uh, and, uh, oh, I forgot about this. Uh, 
another reason that the music video wasn't made for it uh, was because the album's music video budget was largely spent on Like a Surgeon. Yeah. Which, yeah, you gotta, if you got to pay for a lion, yeah, you got a lot of money spent. I, I'm pretty sure the the hospital the hospital bills are what like oh, that, as well yeah. as the lion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of his most popular hits. Despite wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. wait. So you mean the hospital bills took the lion's share of the budget? Is that oh, what you mean? Ooh, I see what you did there. Oh, that's why they pay me for this podcast. Yeah. Roar. Oh, that's all I got. Um, so even though it wasn't a single, it's it's on his Greatest Hits Volume 2. It's on the permanent record release, The Essential Weird Al. Um, and I love this little fact. It's also on 1999's compilation album, Radio Disney Kid Jams. Yeah. Oh. Now, first and foremost... Jams is not spelled with a Z at the end, which oh, that's is sacrilegious. That's yeah. sacrilegious. But the tracks on this song are all over the place. It's from 1999, but it spans like two decades worth of songs. It has just a few examples. It has Backstreet Boys, Quit Playing Games With My Heart. Sure. Right. The Macarena. <laughs> sure. Wipeout. Interesting. Uh, you can't touch this by Hammer, and appropriate because it's Radio Disney. Akuna Matana. It just, so it's just like any fun song that a parent wouldn't mind their child listening to. I feel like it's yeah, like parents gave their eight-year-old kid access to making a mixtape. And just let him go nuts. Well, if that was the case, there's far, there's not enough uh, hamsters and crazy frogs. Well, I think this was before those were officially. A thing. They would have found a way. They would have found a way. <laughs> I, I also wonder if it's like a like a Disney thing. Like, what does Disney own? Let's put it in there. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think they have anything to do with the Macarena. <laughs> oh, I don't know. They got their tendrils all over. The I know. Who who knows? They probably do somehow. The, the the great Disney conspiracy to make people dance by putting their arms out and on their hips and shaking their butt. Anyway. Um, Don't you know the steps of the, the Macarena? It's put your arms out, flip them over, reach into your pocket, pull out your wallet, throw it into the abyss. And then sit back and relax and enjoy the Mandalorian. That's right. That's the way it goes. Um, so since the Dare to be Stupid tour, uh, it's been performed on every tour since. Um and starting with the touring with Scissors dates, it was uh, started to be preceded by the, the other Star Wars song Al did, The Saga Begins, uh, which is about uh, episode one, The Phantom Menace, um, both being played as the encore songs. Uh, it was moved for a little bit during the Straight Outta Linwood era, uh, moved into the middle of the set, but... By June 2010, it was placed back as the final encore. What were they doing at the end of those shows? I don't know. It when would, we get to that album, I'll find out. But white and dirty, or whatever that was. Is it right? Yeah, white and nerdy at the end. White, white nerdy. nerdy. It's straight out of Linwood. It's white and nerdy. Yeah. Interesting. But as a, I feel like that would end the whole set. But as an encore, I don't encore. know. It's like you know it's, they have setlist.com. We can answer this. Andy, you keep true. on talking. I'll get to the bottom of this. That's a good point. Um, so when playing the song live, Al does use an accordion uh, with all the other instruments in play. Uh, I got 
footage of that from uh, the VHS release uh, Weird Al Live, uh, which uh, I've probably said a million times on this podcast already, but Dave, I was at this concert. Yeah? Yeah, and it was amazing. This clip starts with something you might not expect. Uh, does this baseball jingle have a name, Dave? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Is it not just charge? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just charge. So. I don't know that any of the main things. I uh, have this VHS as a child. Oh, yeah. I've watched this a bazillion times. Yes. This is at the Civic Center in San Rafael, uh, my home county. Oh. I think I think this might have been the first concert I ever went to. And it was filmed? And it was filmed. We didn't know that going uh, in ahead of time. It was me and my dad. We were way up in the front, so I don't appear in the video. Mm. Um... But great experience. Where, where can we move forward to to get to the chant? I was just about to get into it. We can pause okay. it here and let me just talk about this chant. Yeah. Um, so during these Yoda performances, they do like before they get into like the last bit of it, the last chorus, they have something that has been uh, lovingly dubbed the Yoda chant. It's been a staple on the tour since 1992. Uh, it was originally performed during the bridge of Another One Rides the Bus in 1991. Uh, uh, they did that on the Dr. Demento 20th anniversary show. Uh, but it is just complete and utter nonsense. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think I don't even really need to explain much of it. So first, it's, he's starting with letting the audience sing the Yo Yo Yoda song, Yoda Yoda Bet. But slowly transitions. Yeah, this like live uh, fade in is a cool trick. Yeah. And the audience is like, we don't know what we're doing anymore. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Now this chant gets longer and longer as oh. the years goes on. Uh, I got another clip, don't you okay. worry. <laughs> I want me and Joel watched him at the uh, uh, the the self indulgent tour, the second half of it. Yeah. And there is chunks that I had never heard before. And I was like, oh, okay. Appropriately so. Now, is there some kind of does does Al ever talk about this? Like, what the hell is like what the why? Not the what, because there is no what. It's just random. Not that why. I could really find. Uh, I mean, like, it's obviously it's all quote unquote written by him, but he like takes different things from different other songs or moments. I mean, especially in the longer versions. Like, I think there was one he rendition. Just... That probably has Frere Jaca. Frere Jaca is in there. Uh, you know, maybe a little like uh, 
line sleeps tonight he did once or twice uh, uh-huh. um yeah but i'm not sure i couldn't find the origin of why the hell they're doing this what a mystery um but here's uh a i mean it's not the most recent version but uh this is from september 19th 2015 at the greek theater in los angeles uh, just a few months before The Force Awakens opened in theaters. A uh, longer version of the chant. Oh, this is a really funny bit before they get into it. Or he's just letting one guy in the audience sing it. pre-COVID move right there. And here it comes. Oh yeah, mandatory fun tour. He's got his face on the drum head there. It's so much faster too. The audience is trying to clap along. It's like, don't even bother. <laughs> Oh, there's this one where they do some real crazy syncopation, Dave. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. It, it breaks my brain a little bit. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> that part's so funny. <laughs> the man show. Back Bermuda is now playing a conga drum. Nice. And there's just a dude holding it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a song, a famous song, because I heard it for the real one for the first time this year sometime. Here's the first shaka. This part. This part's yeah. great. All right. What is that? That's a five over a seven over a three there, Dave? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> Beat displacement, that's what I call it. Nice. Now it's a Neil Peart uh, drum solo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so wonderful. I learned the end of my mystery. So 
on the time where he didn't close with this, uh, it goes, um, he does white and nerdy, then he does fat, then he leaves, Mm -hmm. I think, during a keyboard solo, which is what this says is track number 18 keyboard solo. Naturally. Then the encore is We All Have Cell Phones, which is hysterical. Oh, yeah. 30 second song. At the beginning of this clip, he comes out in his Jedi garb along with Stormtroopers and Darth Vader. And it seems like he's about to go into Yoda or the saga begins. And instead he goes into We All Have Cell Phones. Which is a snippet from one of his uh, parody interviews. Yeah. Uh, where one of the, whoever it is says, we'll have cell phones, come on, let's get real. And then he they have a whole song, and that's all he says the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and then they close the whole show with Albuquerque. Oh, right. He did, which is a he, he did bonkers, start doing Albuquerque for a while. A bonkers thing to do at the end of a show. But That's a, but, that's a long encore, too. <laughs> yeah, so Yoda is like at the two-thirds of the way through the show, it looks mm. like. Switching it up a little bit. Anyway, there you go. Um. The, the last couple things I got are uh, just in reference to the Yoda chant. Uh, <laughs> regarding, on, on the Ask Al portion of his website, someone asked, uh, like, do you have ASL interpreters at your shows? <laughs> and he said, like, yeah, sometimes. I mean, usually it's the fairs that provide the ASL interpreters. And he says, quote, it's a real hoot to watch them try and follow along during the Yoda chant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I need to pay attention to the next time I go see him. Um and uh, the last thing, uh, we don't need to watch the whole clip, but it's a, it's a really cool, sweet thing. He did a performance uh, in uh, 2015's uh, Night of Too Many Stars, the uh, charity show uh, that helps benefit uh, autism-related organizations. And he did a, a performance of Yoda with Jody DiPiazza, who's a, uh, an autistic... She was a teenager back then. She's, I think she's in her 20s now, but... Uh, like pianist and musician and uh, prodigy, basically. Um, so it's a nice little sweet moment. Gentlemen, Jody DiPiazza and Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, so Jody's on piano. And then him in a swamp down in Dagobah where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soul. I mean, that's everyone's dream, right? Yep. Yeah. Big time. I saw the little one sitting there on a log. I asked him his name and in a referee voice he said Yoda. I mean, to, do, to sing a song with Weird Al, top tier, to do it with the song that has, like, the coolest harmonies also. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something. Yeah. And this girl's really interesting. I mean, like, she apparently has perfect pitch. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and, like, started playing music when she was uh, younger, and she writes songs and everything. Really cool. Thanks for sharing, Andy. Yeah, and that's what I got for Yoda. Now, you know what? I can only imagine what it's like to be on the same stage as Weird Al during a live performance, uh, like, even dressed up like he is, uh... In, in Star Wars attire. Uh, and even to do that once would be like mind-blowing, but to do it multiple times would be, I don't know, I would be beside myself. Dave, you don't have anything to say about any of this, do you? Oh, boy. Uh, well, it's, uh, I've done it three times, actually, and it's, it's uh, incredibly fun and thrilling to be on stage with Weird Al 
dressed up as different Star Wars characters. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. You're going to have to let Andy in on your secret. Please. Okay. Well, uh, I, I guess, to put it most simply, I'm an active member of the 501st Legion. I'm part of um, Garrison Titan, which is Washington State's garrison. I'm also part of Havoc Squad, which is the Eastern Washington Squad. And we, um, we have performed with Weird Al uh, a number of times, and I've done actually three shows with Weird Al. Uh, once as a handler, uh, once as a TIE pilot, and once as an Imperial gunner. So, Oh, a handler is a, is a Star Wars rank of things. A handler, well, I mean, okay, so most of these costumes have almost no visibility, and walking around uh, is actually quite dangerous. You really can't see much of anything. And to be going up and down ramps through the, the, the set on the stage in the complete dark, uh, you're just asking to fall off and break your leg or something. So we have handlers that will, you know, basically hold their hand uh, and... <laughs> up these ramps and down the ramps and through the speakers and the PA systems and over the snake wires and stuff like that. So they can actually get to their places without dying. Uh, and so uh, that's an important job just to make sure that everybody arrives at their, at their places safely. So I've done that, uh, you know, because other people need a chance to be and have all the glory and be on stage in costume. So they're, you know, one time I said, Hey, I'll be a handler. I've, I've done this. I'll, I'll help out the new people and get them the experience. So, but yeah, that's just, it's not a rank. It's just an important, it's an important duty for that. That makes sense. To an, an Imperial volunteer. So to speak. Sure. Yeah. Cause those kits are expensive. And if you fall <laughs> and break it, and break yourself you know so yeah we want to make sure people are safe when they're doing these types of special events that's cool yeah um so how do what are the logistics like like are you like is it some sort of does it come in on some sort of flying droid that weird al needs your your uh appearance is it is it a hologram message is it uh does it come in with beeps and boops if only no it's it's pretty it's pretty pedestrian his his people send uh you know the the, the, the request to our people and uh basically what what happens is that we get the we get the notice that weird owl is going to need some people on stage such and such a day and time and he's you know he's looking for vader and as many white kids as possible which is uh, our word for stormtroopers and then you know if he has uh, as many stormies as he can, then anyone else who is available can join in. So he prefers to have it just Vader and, and stormtroopers, but oftentimes, you know, there's other other kits involved as well because you know we don't always have ten or fifteen stormtroopers at hand. But he, it's all just done with through the through the communication protocol that we have. And once the date is confirmed, there's a roster, and people sign up to roster for it and confirm their what they're going to wear. And then you you should there's a call time to show up, and basically you're taken backstage, and the stage manager walks you through all the the logistics of it. You do a practice run without Weird Al on stage. You just do the practice with you know, um, someone calling out, like, you know, here's what's going to happen, here's what you're going to do, and and then basically that's it. Uh, you wait for your time in the green room, and when they call you, you make your way up on stage and you. You do the show, and that's that. It's it's exciting, it's thrilling, it's terrifying, 
all at the same time. Uh, it's an interesting overlap of like Star Wars fandom and Weird Al fandom. There's like a very clear. Uh, the Venn diagram has a large middle section. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah. which is cool yeah it's cool to know that it, it isn't just like hey i just need like random extras and like we have the stormtrooper outfits to provide or anything like that it's like actual oh, no, no. It's actual people who do that like do cosplay and everything that's really cool yeah yeah it's it's 500 it's all members of the 500 first legion and uh you know we all make our own kits you know nice. by hand and uh he has his preferences, but like, for, for example, here in, in Eastern Washington with Havoc Squad, you know, we have a pretty diverse group. We don't, we have a couple of stormtroopers. We have quite a few bounty hunters. We have probably four Vaders, a couple of gunners, a couple of bikers, a couple of ties. So he, you know, he wants mostly white kits, but we just don't have them. So he's happy to have whatever we can provide. And, that, and that's great because it's, you know, the fans love it. He he doesn't really care as long as there's people in you know good looking Star Wars kits on stage with them that look that look right. He's happy about that. Now it must have been a bummer when Weird Al was like, "I'm not going to play any covers anymore, and in fact, I'm mostly going to sit down." Uh, <laughs> so it seems like the 501st isn't getting the getting the call for Weird Al. But what else is the 501st out there doing? Yeah, yeah. So that was a bummer because we saw that he was coming to town, and then then he announced that he wasn't doing any any uh, covers and no no Star Wars things were needed. We we're like, ah, darn it, because it's it's a fun it's a fun thing to do, and I'd love to do it again. But I guess you know we'll have, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, since since the COVID thing happened, we we've been very uh, not busy, <laughs> very idle. Uh, so. Uh, things are really slow right now. I think most people are doing stuff like Emerald City Comic Con and well, I like City Comic Con. I think we're just doing the cons. Um, I personally don't do a lot of those events. I got into the Five of First more because I wanted to do the charity events. So the main function of the 500 First Legion is, is charity fundraising appearances. And so most of the things I do will be fundraisers for like the Shriners Hospital or the Ronald McDonald House or, or those types of things where uh, health care for children and, and, and others is, is, the, is the goal, is the purpose of the fundraiser. Uh, I do go to the, the cons maybe once every other year just to make an appearance, but I, I generally don't enjoy walking around a um, a convention center in, in kit and having people poke and prod and want to take pictures. That's not really why I got into this. I got into it for the charity. Right. Now, it's interesting, Dave, that you would get into something like this for the charity and then dress up as a bad guy. <laughs> well, you, you know... It, not a the, bad guy from his point of view. The The motto the motto for us is bad guys doing good. So oh. um, I, you know, that's, that's kind of our angle on it is that, yeah, we're representing, you know, the... Uh, the fascists of the galactic empire uh <laughs> and we do terrible things to the good people but uh our our spin is of course we're a bit the bad guys trying to do good uh here on planet earth instead of out there and the galaxy far far away so yeah um and and I've, i sort of wrestled with some some of the kids are just so overtly i mean after the last so several years of a, of a previous president who I shall not name, 
uh, you know, some of the costumes are so overtly fascist that I was like, man, these really are terrible people. And, and I don't know if I'm comfortable representing them any longer. It's not, it's not just a movie in the distant past anymore. It's like, there are people that actually want this kind of stuff again. Mm -hmm. and I'm not really okay with that. So, you know, I don't know. Luckily there hasn't been a lot of activity with the pandemic and things are picking up. So I try to focus on the positive aspects of it and just do the waiting for the charity events. We've got um, one last thing we got to do in this episode before we get out of town. All right. We need to, now I mentioned to you before that Rolling Stones had a way to categorize the 500 greatest songs of all time. And they put Lola at like 380 something. Okay. Um, but we need to figure out whether or not Weird Al made the song better or made the song worse on a real granular level on a numerical value, a way in which which it's it's inarguable whether or not the quality of the music has been uh, improved upon or has been uh, de uh, uh, worsened, as it was. Now, in season one of this podcast, we accidentally happened upon uh, getsongbpm.com, which is a website that proposes, uh, uh, supposes to um, quantify the quality of songs on certain odd parameters. So um, I'm going to send you, Dave, um, the the quantified qualities of Lola. Andy is going to do Yoda, and I will keep score. The okay. song that comes out on top will uh, mathematically be the better song. It, it will be canonized as the better song. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. I'm I'm definitely curious about that. While you're doing that, I will say, uh, as a musician myself, that uh, Weird Al is one of the finest, if not the finest, musicians I've ever seen uh, perform. That guy has has everything. He has perfectly accurate pitch, no matter what song he's singing. His range is amazing. He's a baritone, but he's got a fantastic high tenor voice as well. He's never he never sings out of tune. He's never yeah. behind or ahead of the beat. Perfect time. His he does these quick change costume changes in the middle of shows. It's just amazing. He never misses anything. He's a phenomenal instrumentalist playing the, the accordion. His band is fantastic. I mean, he's literally as good a musician as any human being could endeavor to be without Barnard, Barnard, he's absolutely fantastic. And most people have just have no idea. Yeah. yeah. He's a crazy guy with funny hair doing cover tunes or pop or uh, parodies. And he's, yeah. he's the whole package. He's the real deal. I always think about the, I forget if it was like an enhanced CD or like the DVD that came with straight out of Linwood, but it was like behind the scenes of making the album. And there's just like a minute, two minute long sequence of him listening to i, I want to say it's like the ukulele part of the song pancreas and just like going like it's a hair too late it's a hair too early it's a hair too and like he just he can hear that yeah and until it gets absolutely perfect it's it was yeah mind-boggling he is phenomenal yeah more than one person has asked me i i was a, and still am sort of the front man of a three-piece rock band and people ask me like, who who's like your touchstones? Who do you want to sound like? Who are you trying to go for? And like, 
like sonically I'll have some answers, but performance is always Weird Al. It's like I want to be like Weird Al, like yeah. not because I want to be funny, but that guy has like the most amount of energy and enthusiasm mm-hmm. and skill level as a band leader. That's like bar none. Yeah, the most and the most most entertaining shows. Like I want my shows to be the, the capital E entertaining that 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 guy does like they yeah. pulls out all the stops and even in like this last one where it's like way more like like mid-tempo like an energy it's still filled to the gills with quality musicianship and mm-hmm. like every like in between there's always stuff going on in between because it's a show it's not like you're not just like playing a cd live there's other right. things going on yeah what what are your musical credentials? Because we I'd love for that to be juxtaposed with what we're about to do here. <laughs> My musical cred- credentials? Yeah. yeah. Um, I keep on asking you music questions, even in season one. What do you do that's music-y that people should be like, oh, all right, I guess we'll believe him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, even after I have my credentials, some people don't believe me, but whatever, right? Uh, I... Let's just say, I'll I'll try to keep it short and sweet, but I started playing music when I was nine years old. Uh, I got the pots and pans and the chopstick out of the kitchen, and I started playing the drums to songs by The Who and uh, Cheap Trick. Uh, When I was 10, my mom bought me a drum set. I played the drum sets uh, from then until about 15 years old. I switched to the bass guitar. I taught myself bass guitar. Uh, I played in tons and tons of rock bands. I played uh, in a band with Miles Kennedy of Alter Bridge many years ago mm-hmm. called Citizen Swing. We were a very, very large band in the Spokane area, the North Idaho Spokane area. Uh, opened for lots of acts uh, in that process. Uh, I, when I had a family, I left that band and he went on to form the Mayfield Four. And then he joined uh, the guys from uh, Creed to make the band Alter Bridge. Anyway, uh, and then later on, I went on to college and I have a bachelor's degree in double bass performance so i'm also an orchestral bass player i play uh, most of my gigs these days are musical theater so i play in the pit uh, orchestras for about five different theater companies in eastern washington playing double bass and bass guitar and i also play uh, guitar at banjo and mandolin on occasion when it, the show requires it and then i have a master's degree in music education and i'm currently a music specialist at an elementary school in the mead school district um uh i've been there for 14 years i got my start uh in education about 20 years ago which is when i met tim um i was student teaching at the middle school where tim was attending and the band teacher there uh knew that i was a bass guitar teacher and said hey i've got a student here i want you to teach him to play the bass and so i did and that's how i met tim and tim was a fantastic student and i'm sure he's gone on to become uh, an incredible musician in his own right so yeah, I've been doing music for almost uh, well, well, I don't even know, uh, going on forty plus years, and I've been uh, an educator for more than twenty-five years. Heck yeah! All right, that was the short version. Nice. That was the short version. <laughs> now, wow, wow, that's a perfect setup, Andy. Yes, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> there yes. are we have a five rounds. Now, what we consider better is that if your number is bigger than the other person's number. Okay. To begin with, Dave, the Kinks have set their song Lola to what tempo? 
152 says here. 152. Okay. Now, we know that this website doesn't have accurate information. So, Dave, if you feel like if that number is nowhere near correct, I think there's a little button that says wrong, question mm -hmm. mark, and then you can submit, like, a little query. Oh, okay. Well, let me, uh, let me do something here right quick here. Okay. So, uh, I, I'm... Um, Bear with me here because I think I, I think uh, I think it's actually half of 152. It's it's probably closer to 75 or 76. We've had the same discussion multiple episodes where I think they're double timing a lot. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because Lola is more of a da, da, da. super slow. But the 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 152 is this. So I think those are eighth notes. So I think I disagree with that number. I think it's more like 75. Absolutely. We're going to have to take the, the, the published number for this official <laughs> documentation. <laughs> Sorry, you said the official number is 152? Well, I, 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 I say it's not. I know, I know. But Andy, what does yours say? Uh, for Yoda, 160, according to Get Song BPM. Well, 160 is larger than any other that Dave said, so Weird Al gets <laughs> the point. Even okay. though its accuracy is kind of up, up in question. Now, the these qualities below Temple are chef's kiss. Um, Dave, what's the danceability of Lola? Um, low, low, oh. low, <laughs> very low. It's too slow. Oh yeah. Or what if it's one fifty two, it's too fast. Depends on what number you're going to go with. But either way, it's wrong. <laughs> well, right below Temple, it'll tell you. Uh, on the page I'm looking at, is it? Yeah, on the on the left hand side, it says audio profile. It'll tell you the tempo in a little bar graph. And oh, I see. There's five okay. others. Danceability is 48. Oh my goodness. Which Andy? I interpret to be low. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume it's on a scale from one to a hundred for danceability. It is. Yes. Okay. Right. All these are. Okay. Well, except tempo, but yeah. Uh, Andy, what about the danceability of Yoda? For Yoda, we're just going to add 10 more dances and get 58. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly catching on to what we're doing here, so thank you. <laughs> leading. Weird Al is it's leading. Very scientific. This is very scientific. Yes. Wow. Oh, you, yeah. yeah. If you can recall which collegiate-level class you learned these phrases <laughs> on, you can let us know, because the next one we've got is energy. A quantifiable quality. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got a 92. Very energetic. Man. Whoa. Who would have guessed? That's an A minus on energy. <laughs> that is. That's a solid A minus. Um, I mean, if you're a nice teacher, that might be a solid A, but uh, not me. <laughs> no. Nope. We're going to make you cry. You're accurate with those, uh, That's those right. decimal points. Um, Andy? energy for yoda we're going b here it is a b 86 oh my gosh maybe b plus but probably most more likely to be yeah that's a b yeah we only do 87s enough for yeah. any b plus considerations all right um right. weird al is leading two to one so the kinks can come from behind here goodness me the kinks what's your level of acousticness wow i've never even heard that term <laughs> And and after after six years of university level education, I have never heard of acousticness before. 
But the level here is 59. 59, no way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Believe it or not. Is it a tie? Andy? It's about to be a tie because the acousticness <laughs> of Yoda is a four. A four? A four. See, but an accordion been... is an acoustic instrument. It should yeah, but be right. not, way it's... off the charts. Well, if it if it was the demo, it would be off the charts. But he oh. refused to put the accordion in the song. As yeah, we so it is more electric, but I mean, still. Uh, okay. Oh, God, that really got me. Okay, we are tied oh. two to two. Everyone, edge of our seats. Yeah. The last quality that Get Song <laughs> BPM chooses to use to tell you is live. <laughs> Can't even say it. Is liveness. How, Dave, how much liveness does the Kinks Lola have? We're, we're on the verge of a cardiac arrest here. It's at 21. Okay. 21. The heart is broken on my Oh, no. Yes. It's, it's barely registering on the EKG. 21. Lola won't call back. Heartbroken. <laughs> 21. Andy. The liveness. For Weird Al Yankovic's Yoda, track number five on Dare to be Stupid is 33. Oh my gosh. Weird Al comes out on top and, mathematically speaking, wrote a better song than The Kinks. Wow. wow Congratulations, Al. Yeah. Congratulations, as, Al. As Mark Hamill said in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, don't fuck the <laughs> Jedi Master, son. Hmm. Well said. All right, this is the end of our show, everyone. Thanks for hanging out with us. Dave, if people are interested in anything that you do artistically or otherwise, what's a cool thing that they should go seek out out of all of your bazillion things that you're involved with? Well, the, the best way to, to see what I'm up to is to go to my YouTube channel. It's just look up Dave Turner Bass Guitar, and you will find me there. I have over 500 bass covers and other things like that. I play all kinds of great music, and I play it correctly and accurately as only a professional <laughs> such as myself can do. Nice. That's right. My favorite ones are the, the Citizen Swing covers. Like you cover yourself and I think that's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. That was an, uh, perhaps an odd choice, but you know, I, I asked myself, what would my 52 year old self do differently on the song that I wrote the baseline for when I was 25? So I did that. It was fun. Very cool. Um, all right, folks, that's the end of our show. Thanks to Dave for hanging out with us and blessing us with his presence. Thank you, Dave. Um, Thank you. We uh, will be back next week doing what, Andy? Uh, what are we doing? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> considering we're like recording these out of order? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Praying the end is nigh. That's what I'll be yeah. doing next week. It's like uh well what should i say should i say the song we're actually recording next or it's, no it should be number six it should be number six number okay. five so what's all number this six? all this is going to be cut out no oh, not at all uh, cue, cue me in again <laughs> hey andy what are we going to do next week that i said for the first time ever next week uh we are going to do weird al's rendition this might be like a rare cover song by him that is on one of his albums georgia the jungle Oh, yeah. The Just a song. straight cover. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that'll be a weird episode. All yes, right. Yes, it will. Well, we have to end our episodes the same way every time with our signature sign-off.
Bye. 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 We did it! Yay! Contact the show at weirdpalspod at gmail.com. Find us on social media at weirdpalspod. Check out our extra content on OnlyFans at weirdpals. And listen up for our special live show announcement coming soon to a theater near you.